It is the Max Fun Drive, that time of year, the one time of year that we devote to inviting you, our audience, to become a member of the Maximum Fun Network if you aren't already, or you can use this opportunity to upgrade your membership and show support for us with your monthly contribution. Remember, we are an audience-supported network, and so your memberships are how we maintain our independence and keep Heat Rocks going for all of you to enjoy. This is also just a great time to join and get perks, which we will talk about later. And it's easy to join. You can look at all the levels and select your favorite shows like Heat Rocks, for example, which is ours, when you visit MaximumFun.org slash join. Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, arson, an album that bumps continuously. And today, we'll be deep diving together into Midnight Marauders, the 1993 classic from A Tribe Called Quest. The average bounce meter for your Midnight Marauder program will be in the area of 95 BPM. We hope that you will find our presentation precise, bass heavy, and just right. Thanks. 1993 was by all accounts a great year in hip hop. It was responsible for some of the albums that I still bump today. Heat rocks like Black Moon's Enter the Stage, Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the Wu-Tang, The 36th Chamber, Guru's Jazzamataz, Souls of Mischief's 93 Till Infinity, De La's Balloon Mind State, and A Tribe Called Quest's Midnight Marauders. Released in the late fall on Jive Records, the band's third album is, to me at least, what it means to be sonically dressed all the way up. In other words, to have on a great outfit with even greater accessories. Accessories like expertly curated and implemented samples and snippets. Good things happen when you invite Weldon Irvine, Clyde McFadder, Jack Wilkins, George Duke, and the JBs, to name a few, to your party. This is an album that made me rethink one of my favorite cliches. Where Midnight Marauders is concerned, it is how you start, not how you finish. And this album starts with 45 seconds of wonder. Some old futuristic voicemail spoken word over a Cal Jader sample that's strangely cool and fascinating and encourages you to keep listening. The horns and Steve Biko stir it up, punctuate your arrival. Get ready, you're in for a treat. And now for another catchphrase. It takes two to make a thing go right, but it actually takes three to make it out of sight. And the work of the dynamic duo Fife and Tip plus Ali Shaheed Muhammad makes for a listening experience that is, well, glorious. The 13 tracks that follow tour guides showcase everything there is to love about Tribe, the way they tell stories, how they draw you in, enthralling you with their specialties, top-tier production, straight lyricism, and wit. In my opinion, they had nothing to prove on this album, which makes it all the more precious to me. Ask any music journalist, critic, or ardent hip-hop fan, all will tell you that Low End Theory, released just two years earlier, is a classic, classic material. That said, Midnight Marauders isn't so much leveling up as it is the great expansion, an album that would grow Tribe's audience, its influence, its legend, its legacy, an album where drums and engineers share the shine. For years, I've called this album timeless, and it is. But right now, Midnight Marauders just feels necessary. Necessary for the canon and the genre. Necessary for the East Coast and for jazz. Necessary for the 90s, for the culture, for Gen X, and for me. This album took nine months to make and 51 minutes to make the point. That perhaps the third time, or album, is the charm that having Large Professor and Skef Anselm involved in your situation is a good call, and that at the end of the day, Linden Boulevard represented, represented. What more can I say? Top billing. Except that by the very definitions we employ on this podcast, Midnight Marauders is a heat rock. Yo, I took you out, but sex was on my mind, pulled the whole damn route. My mind was in a frenzy in a horny state, but I couldn't drop dimes because you couldn't relate. You couldn't relate. You couldn't relate. 
Midnight Marauders was the album pick of our guest today, drummer, producer, and recording artist Kareem Riggins. He is one of the more talented artists to have come out of his native Detroit in a generation, and that is saying a lot when you think about the musical legacies of the Motor City. In an earlier era, it's easy to imagine how he might have fit in everywhere from the legendary jazz label Tribe Records to Motown's house band, the Funk Brothers, or for that matter, their house producers, the Holland Brothers. Instead, as a 70s baby, Riggins came of age alongside hip-hop, and though he cut his teeth as a teenage drummer for the likes of Betty Carter and Ray Brown, that's pretty impressive, for hip-hop fans like myself, we learned his name because of his work playing with and producing for the likes of Common, Jay Dilla, Slum Village, Robert Glasper, and Erica Badu. Basically, he's your favorite artist's favorite artist. I had the pleasure of speaking with Riggins back in 2012 after the release of his debut LP, Alone Together. And just this past winter, Riggins, alongside longtime collaborator Mad Lib, formed the Jahari Masamba unit and released their album, Pardon My French, 13 tracks of jazz and soul spiked infusions that simultaneously pay homage to the sound of groups like A Tribe Called Quest and the artists they sampled from, while also being the potential inspiration for a new generation of music makers grooving on his and Madlib's sonic concoctions. Kareem Riggins, welcome to Heat Rocks. What's up, man? How you feeling? <laughs> Doing great. So happy to be with you, especially to talk about this album. And to start that off with, your father, Emmanuel Riggins, was a jazz keyboardist who played on some of the seminal soul jazz albums, including Grant Green's early 70s Blue Note uh, LPs and the legendary Wooden Glass album by Billy Wooten. Basically, the kind of records that a group like A Tribe Called Quest would sample. Mm -hmm. And by the time that Tribe debuted, I'm assuming you were already well on your way to becoming a jazz drummer and jazz artist yourself. And so my question here is, what was your introduction to A Tribe Called Quest? And more to the point, what did you think of them musically, especially as a jazz player? Man, I, I just felt like, you know, what I was doing and, and coming up, you know, from a very young age, from listening to straight ahead jazz records when I finally heard tribe, that was what, you know, kind of reeled me into what they were doing. It was incorporating jazz straight ahead jazz music and, you know, just music with beautiful chord progressions and beautiful harmonies and melodies. That's what pulled me in. And I was a fan from the first album. And so th that is people's instinctive travels. That's where you started. That's where I started. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first time in terms of how did you hear the album or how'd you hear the group in general? I, I think it was just watching videos, man. They had a, uh, I left my wallet in El Segundo. Yeah. That video was dope. Hop in the car and torpedo to the shack. The shot here. We gotta go back. When you said why, I said we gotta go. Cause I left my wallet in El Segundo. Yeah, I think that was the first time I heard it. And then I, it just, you know, led me down the rabbit hole of finding out who they were. And then I, I went and bought, bought the wax. Why Midnight Marauders? Um, and we'll get to this later, but Oliver and I have uh, talked about Tribe a lot. We're both giant, giant fans. Mm -hmm. And the debate has always been like, which album is better, yada, yada, yada. But before we get mm -hmm. to that, why is Midnight Marauders a heat rock for you? It makes It's just so special how um, you could just hear the growth and, you know, just the artistry, the level of production, the lyricism, uh, the union of a group, you know, mm -hmm. and that, I just thought it was just beautiful, like how they sequenced the album. Like that alone was genius to me, not even just the beats, the sequencing of the album, like how the songs go into each other, how they yeah. end. There's no fades on there. It's like every song ends where it's supposed to end and the next starts where it starts. It was a narration going on. It's just genius. Pure genius. I think like you, you know, I first discovered Tribe through People's Instinctive Travels. Um, it, I probably also saw the video for uh, I Left My Wallet in El Segundo and was wondering, like, who are these guys? What's going on? And so I became a Tribe fan from Jump. And given that this album, right, follows Low End Theory, which we've discussed on our show before, it is con yeah. considered one of the greatest follow-up yes. albums or just one of the greatest albums, period. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, the expectations on Midnight Marauders 
could not be higher. So I'm wondering for you, Kareem, and also Morgan, what were your expectations going into this album? And ultimately, did Midnight Marauders meet, exceed? I'm assuming it didn't fall short of them because we <laughs> were still ta- we're still here talking about them. But yeah, what did yeah. You, what were you expecting from the group and how did they deliver on that one way or another? I just felt like, you know, from hearing people's extinctive travels, you know, waiting on the, the low in theory, hearing that it was just an elevation. So I just expected to be on this ride, man. Like when Midnight Marauders came out, I remember it was what, 93 when that came out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I bought the record, came home and listened and it just blew my mind. Like we had a one of those old camcorders and we shot our own videos to the song, you know, yes. in high school. And I remember, like, that was the, the first time I bought a, an answering machine for my my mom let me get my own line. And I had, you know, my own answering machine. And, and every day I would it would be the outgoing message would be one of the songs from Midnight Marauders. So people would have to listen to that album when they called me, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it was special when I heard it. So, yeah, I, I didn't have any. I think when I started to have expectations was when, like, beats, rhymes, and life came mm, and then that's when mm. you know i discovered dilla that's around the time i yeah. met dilla so yeah yeah i gotta ask what were the music videos like that you and your friends were shooting for the the songs on here i had random man like just riding bikes backwards and doing bmx tricks and yes. trying to lip, lip sync lyrics and all of that <laughs> you, you need to put that on youtube someplace <laughs> never never <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, how about you? What were your expectations going in? I was a Tribe um, fan, as you know, as has been well documented on this show. I don't know that I had expectations necessarily of of the album, except beyond the person that turned me on to the album. And the person that turned me on to the album was a guy that I was in class with. Long story short, I was mm-hmm. going to Clark then, and we were able to cross-register uh, within the AU. So I was taking... Um, English classes at Morehouse and me and the guy that turned me on to this were number one and two in the class. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was a little bit competitive. Um, And he had just beat me out on a, on a, on a paper about paradise lost. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I was like, damn, he was very smart and very sophisticated. So Mm -hmm. my expectations of this album increased because he's the one that turned me on to the album. And so I only expected this to be smart and sophisticated like he was, Ooh. and it delivered. Um, that's what I expected from this album because he was the one. Um, and even then, I was like, I should have been turning him onto this album, but whatever. He keeps beating me, and um, <laughs> a, a nice guy, but like I said, very intelligent and sophisticated uh, taste. And that's how I distinguish Low End Theory from Midnight Marauders. To Kareem's point, there is growth, and for mm. me, although I love both. And on any given day, I change which one I prefer. I see mm-hmm. this as Tribe's growth into being very smart and very sophisticated with the samples, with the production. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so my expectation was that it was going to go higher. And that's mm-hmm. a tribute to, to Oh Boy uh, that turned me on to the record. When when Award Tour dropped as the lead single, I could not have been more hyped because I thought that the single and the video were just absolute heat rocks. And given how incredible Low End Theory had been, I think, I don't know if my expectations for Midnight Marauders could have been higher. And so there's always that moment of anticipation when you're about to hit play. In this case, I was buying a lot of my uh, albums on cassette. So, you know, you slide into the into the Walkman, you press that play button, and you don't really know what to expect. And and mm-hmm. obviously, this album in particular introduces the kind of the weird narrator that <laughs> they hadn't used previously. It's just like, what's about to go on? Yeah. But then Steve Biko, Stir It Up, comes in and automatically you're put at ease because it just confirms this album is going to be amazing. I mean, it, even all these years later, that still just feels magical. Just yeah. the way that you're brought into that album. Yeah. I love the way they incorporated delay, like with the vocals. Mm. Your mom's grandmother, mother, like 
those were like ad libs, but like really the delay just just meant so much rhythmically. New York City represent represent a drop core quest represent represent then the dog is scientific with the styles I invent a drop core quest represent represent MCs like to metal, but here's my proposition. I let my lyrics flow and jump your whole position. I'm radical with this like the man is long as after. And I was a fan of Bob Power, you know, his engineering, the way that the songs were, even from, you know, Low End Theory, because the Low End Theory yeah. was Bob Bob's Power theory of bass, like mixing things with Low End. So to hear even his elevation sonically mixing these songs is incredible. Kareem, could you just briefly explain to, to the listeners out there what the importance of Bob Powers as an engineer was? Because I think we tend to remember producers and, and mm -hmm. Bob Powers in some ways fits into a bit of a gray zone between them, but he's really best known as an engineer. And he's, he is, is a name that we connect with a lot of the native tongues groups like tribe, like mm -hmm. De La, the roots later. What was it that brought powers brought to the game that makes him stand out in our memory, you know, 30 years later. I think Bob powers uh, is a great mixing engineer, but as well as a producer. So I think pr producers have another perspective on mixing because they can hear, how to, you know, make something sound bigger without changing the whole, uh, the magic of it, you know, because a lot of these records are raw and they sound dirty and you don't want to make it super crispy clean. So he was able to make these mixes sound wide from the top all the way down to the bottom and everything in the middle is, is keeping the essence of what was there before. So it's, it's not, not a lot of hip hop records before Bob that, you know, had, that sound. So I feel like he changed, you know, the sound of how people hear music now and the way they mix. My feet is a shower for you. I scrub the back and I force the butt crack, make you shiny. Spiffy in a jiff, fucking with the ab, you got the greatest of gifts. Say yo, my mic is sound above. Bob Power, you there? Yeah. Adjust the bass and treble, make my shit sound clear, clear, clear. And I always heard that one of the things that he was really great at was just the drums and how he engineered the drums to crack in a way yes. that really caught people's attention. As a drummer, I figure you have some thoughts on this. Definitely, man. I mean, I did a beat um, on Common's uh, Electric Circus called uh, The Hustle. And I, I swear, I thought the beat sounded good. And once Bob <laughs> mixed it, it was just like, it's it made my beat sound totally different. And I was like, wow, this is the way it's supposed to sound. So when, you know, somebody mixes t to that level where you feel like it elevates the music, that is a great mix. The young play corner, shot John modeling. They did it from their mama. Black music is fathering. Blue and white flashlights like parliament and court nine whites. Wishing they had Cochran. Tell your guy them. Yo, the block's hot again. I just wanted to add, too, is that one thing that's also really distinct about Bob Powers is, is he's a household name. And for a mm -hmm. lot of people... We don't normally remember or revere engineers in the way that Bob Powers is. We associate him with a movement. And I can't think offhand of um, other engineers that happen to be household names in the way he is. Not just not beyond um, Tribe Called Quest, but to me, he reminds me of Neo Soul and that whole movement. He reminds mm -hmm. me of Erica Badu, Michelle Ndegio Cello. And so his name will always be synonymous with a movement. So he's great, obviously, for the stuff that he did for Tribe, but he's great because I associate him and a lot of kids associate him with the movement of, of hip hop right. and, and that vibe and that and that sort of soul, which yes. Tribe was a part of. Right. He also had a great name. If he'd been Bob Smith, I kind of <laughs> feel like we wouldn't, we wouldn't remember him the same way. But like yeah, Bob Power. Powers just sounds dope. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's not like an MC name. Was he a DJ at some point? Right. You know? Plus, you got to yeah. be great. If your name is Bob Powers and you're subpar, everyone's like, well, why yeah. are you here? Oh, my goodness. Why is your last <laughs> name Powers out here? In the world. You know, what's great, what's great is that he's still, and he's passing on the information now. He teaches at the Clive Davis Institute. So he's he's still yeah. doing doing what he does and, and spreading the, the knowledge. Indeed. Shout out to Bob Powers. Shout That's out, right. <laughs> shout out to Bob Powers. So listen, the abstract intuition is very, very worthy. I could fill you out from Russia to Jersey. Can't understand the underground against me. The low, the nikes, the links, the jeeps, the women, the lingo, and all the other goods. Peace to the hoods. Keep my shit on play. All right, we're going to put you in the hot seat early on. And I hate to do it to you, but it's heat rock, so it has to happen. <laughs> is this tribe's 
uh, best album? Hmm. I think this this album. I can't say it's best. I don't. I can't say anything is best. But I would say that this album was the soundtrack of those years for me, 93, 94, 94, until now. And low in theory as well. Like those those songs like We Got the Jazz and Oof. all of that stuff from I mean, it's hard to even like put it in a category. So I just think it's just part of the whole it's a great contribution onto the art form. And it's it's definitely in the top ten of my all time favorite al- albums. Hope hope that answers your question. <laughs> it no it does. It does. How about you, Morgan? I'll be honest, this changes for me all the time. Okay, yeah. I think mm-hmm. you asked me last year and I had something different to say. Yeah. But I will say my feeling my feelings about the albums have grown as I have grown. Mm. And there are ways that I can appreciate Midnight Marauders, the genius of Midnight Marauders in a different way. I'm listening to it different. So today, and I'll just deal with today. Today it pushes ahead for me because of things I hear now as as uh, as a more evolved music fan, as a person mm-hmm. that's more interested in in music, as a person mm-hmm. that's more interested in samples than I was when it first came into my life, right? Yeah. Low in theory will always be the sentimental favorite for me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if all they ever made was check the rhyme, some days that would have been enough. That album is just classic. It, it's just it's, it was just me falling in love with Tribe. But there yeah. is something, and I have to go back to the word sophistication about Midnight Marauders that to me pushes it a little bit ahead because I feel like on that album, right. Tribe grew and also I grew. Mm. And so I appreciate it in a, in a different way. And we can talk about drums a little bit later and drum patterns a little bit later. But some mm. days for me, when I listen to Midnight Marauders, I pay attention only to drums. Yeah. And there's something that... that that happened on that album differently to me than than did on Low in Theory. So today yeah. my answer would be Midnight Marauders. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I mean, I'm going to join y'all in being ambivalent on this one because I think it's an impossible question to answer when, and at least I think for most of us, it's going to be really down to between Low in Theory and Midnight Marauders. And what's funny is that I think Low in Theory has an absolutely perfect first half, you know, yes. top three best first album halves in history from excursions through vibes and stuff. But I didn't love everything on the second half of that album. And on Midnight Marauders, it's almost the opposite, which is that I think the second half beginning with We Can Get Down all the way through the end of of God Lives Through is absolute perfection. But even to this day, I still skip past songs like 8 Million Stories and Midnight. Um, and so in a sense, like both of these albums had two perfect halves, but not necessarily like an end to end listen for me, at least personally. Mm-hmm. What all I can say is I think, and this goes, I think, to Morgan's point, actually to both your points, I think Midnight Marauders is Tribe's crowning achievement if mm-hmm. we're just talking about craft. Yeah. I think Low End Theory is their most important album. But notice that I didn't describe either as best because I'm deliberately avoiding having to answer that question. <laughs> I also want to throw this out there because I'm a music geek like this, but I was thinking about this last night is that not only does this belong in the pantheon of great third albums, which is something we don't really talk enough about. We talk about great second albums and great first albums, but not really great third albums. But I think it belongs to an even more select subcategory of third albums that are arguably the best albums in the artist catalog. And at least in hip hop, I didn't bother to think about this in rock, jazz, soul, whatever, but Mm -hmm. just in hip hop, that list I think is really, really elite. Includes Equemini by Outkast, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Balloon Mind State by De La Soul, To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. I'm sure I'm leaving a few other things off of there. I mean, there are a lot of good third albums, but how many artist would you say that the third album was arguably their best album and i think midnight marauders is like in very rarefied territory for being you know not not the groups like uh, you know magnum opus out the gate not their surprising sophomore follow-up but like the perfection of craft that they hit in stride mid-career rather than at the beginning of it and i think that's that's that is rare to me i think if i had to add one to this 
I think it might be the Roots Illadelph Half Life. Come on and push up your lights up, up your lights up, up your lights up. For we spark the fire to all my people's on the planet, stimulating the mind. All my people's out of knowing the time. Come on and push up your lights up, up your lights up, up your lights up. For we spark. Um, I think people would argue if that's their best album, but it's my favorite, and it's the third. And I see the growth from the albums that came came before it, but I think this this list is stellar. And I think, yeah, this list is stellar, especially Equimini. I never yeah. thought about that though. The third albums, that's that's a hard thing to do, like to to come with such artistry and something of the of the level of being classic as a third right. album. Yeah, right. Because it means you haven't run out of ideas. You have to bring something new to the table. You can't just you know bring back whatever made the first two work because then it's going to feel kind of stayed and so that's right. the really i think the most difficult challenge right physically we all the herbs will sit back and like me inhale my style is kind of fat reminiscent of a whale young girls desires hold the female dreams i'll be the abstract poetic representing for queens socially i'm not a name black and white guy we'll be right back with our conversation with kareem riggins on midnight marauders but first let's talk about the max fun drive Max Fund's business model is artist-owned and audience-supported. That means when you become a member, you're directly affecting our ability to continue this show, as well as Max Fund's ability to plan for other future shows. Like a lot of you, we are spending a lot of our time this year thinking about community and how the community of shows at Max Fun have been helping each other out, how our audience has been helped by these shows, and also help the show by listening and sharing, and how our community of members are essentially part of making the show by providing the funds for us to do it. So we are really lucky to have all of these parts of all of these communities come together to create the goodwill and support that is necessary to make and enjoy this art. These are unprecedented times, and as such, we know that there are many worthy causes particularly now. And we know some people are not in a financial position to actually be Max Fund members. We totally understand that. However, if you are in a position to invest in this show, we really appreciate you supporting our ability to make it. And we love making it. And you're supporting for all of the folks that can't give right now, but are still finding comfort in the show. Here is what you get when you join. When you join at $5 per month or more, you get access to all of the bonus content we have, and that's going to include brand new stuff for this year. Morgan and I taped a live episode of Heat Rocks at Cal State Long Beach, where I teach, and that episode, which is the starting five episode, will be made available to our members. Yeah, and if you join or upgrade at $10 a month or more, you can get a Max Fun show pin of your choice, and if it's our show, you get a boom box and you want that. Everybody needs a <clears throat> boom box, either a real one or a pin. We're also going to be taking a break from pins for a bit after this year. So round out your pin collection with the 2021 Heat Rocks Boom Box pin and order extra for us. I know we're not supposed to pick our favorites, Morgan, but I got to say that boom box pin might be the favorite design I've seen yet. That one's fire. That one's fire. So pick that up. Also this year, we've put together the Max Fun Take a Minute Tea Kit. It is a custom tea tin with gorgeous art by Atomic Pixies. It also comes with a rocket-shaped tea infuser <laughs> and a special custom Max Fun blend of tea from our partners at Wishes Tea. This has been a very trying year, and we want you all to have some me time by taking a minute for yourself and enjoying a nice, comforting hot beverage, maybe while you listen to the dulcet tones of Morgan Rhodes and myself (laughs) with a guest talking about their heat rocks. This is a thank you gift for joining or upgrading at $20 per month or more. We know some of you have joined or upgraded already, and if you have, thank you so much. If you're ready to do that now, you can visit MaximumFun.org slash join. Seven times out of ten, we listen to our music at night. Thus spawned the title of this program. The word maraud means to loot. In this case, we maraud for ears. And we are back on Heat Rocks talking A Tribe Called Quest's Midnight Marauders with our guest Kareem Riggins. 
Kareem, you were gracious enough to come on to my personal podcast, The Sidebar, back in 2012 when your album Alone Together came out. And one of the things that you mentioned in that conversation we had then was how influential Slum Village and in particular Jay Dilla was to your musical evolution. And last year on Heat Rocks, um, the great journalist Dan Charnas came on our show to talk about Fantastic Volume 2. And Dan's writing a book about JD and this conception of Dilla time that he was talking about how it completely changed, not just how hip hop producers thought about rhythm and timing, but Dan was saying that Dilla's influence also expanded to musicians and especially drummers. And given that you, of course, you know, are literally a drummer who worked very intimately with Dilla, I'm wondering if you would mind if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little bit on what Dilla's influence was on musicians like yourself in thinking about things like timing and polyrhythm and all that jazz, pun intended. Man, I think he was just a student of the music first and foremost. He played drums, he played the bass, he could play piano. So when he listened to records, he didn't listen for samples. Like he listened for just learning purposes of like how to how to even hear it, you know, because it's a language that's just a foreign language if you don't know these little these harmonies and melodies and different nuances. So I feel like he studied records to the point to where he found exactly what he liked in, in every record. And he found those spots, even if it was a, an error, what people would consider an error on a drums, someone playing and sound like they slipped up. He would find those things and that would be part of the beat. So I think him incorporating that style of, in his production led musicians to gravitate towards that and to emulate that live, you know? So I think that's just a special thing. And then, you know, just an unorthodox way of playing that he brought to, you know, the forefront in jazz and hip hop music. Yo, we never left, we just kept it on the low, low. Low, low, like the wizard and mojo. Let me let the chorus flow, then you get a blow. Make me wanna sing to it. Keep talking If I can ask, do you feel like he changed the ways in which you thought about how you play? Definitely. And he made he made me more aware of it, you know, because in jazz, you know, there's drummers like Elvin Jones. Elvin, that was his style of playing, like a lot of triplets and some mm. would consider, you know, somebody referenced when I was younger, like, I want you to play this like Elvin Jones, but it sounds like somebody falling down the stairs or, you know, something that's just <laughs> off. But it's not off. It's really it's so polyrhythmic that sometimes some of that stuff can go over your head. But you yeah. won't really, you know, I think Dilla just brought it to the forefront to where people will just, it's more emphasis on that style and, that, and those accents, you know. The night is on my mind. The sun is still shine. But the night is on my mind. So Paul A while I drop this rock. See, Jake be getting illy when the sun get dark. He be coming out for heads, but you don't let me stop. So Kareem, if you don't mind, um, I was saying earlier that the one thing that I pay attention to a lot now when I listen to this album are the percussive elements, drums, drums, patterns and such. It's They're just so much chunkier um, than I had realized on first mm-hmm. listen. Any insight about why that is what was done differently on this album? The, the drums and all the percussive elements just come to the top for me when I listen to every song. Do you know what happened differently on this album? Uh, um, as opposed to other albums? I don't, but I think it's it's part of uh, Tip's elevation and, and just growth and as a producer. I just, I heard so. I mean, he's one of my favorites back then. He was definitely mm-hmm. like the most influential on what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Q-Tip too, because he just had a birthday, I think, he just passed recently. So shout out to, he's one of my good friends and mm-hmm. and definitely an inspiration. But yeah, it's just, just the growth, man. That those beats sounded so huge. You know, the drums sounded so crazy, huge. and you can hear, you know, the influence on Dilla. You know, I, he was heavily influenced by Tip, and I just heard stories about how Dilla. He would tell me like how he would go and spend weeks at at Q Tip's crib and and Q Tip's basement, and Tip just said, you know, use whatever record you want, and he would just go through Tip's record, and I think that's how. Dilla learned to find, you know, certain drums by her buying some of those records that Tip had, you know. So when you find is a stash and you don't freak, you want to nibble on a nigga ear and do all the things that make a nigga want to get near. 
Oh, I'm a Queens representative. Get wild by any means, my incentive is. When we done, I start it up again and ride around with you. Cause you Indeed, I'm glad you mentioned the similarity. I was going to bring that up, but I'm glad that you did. But the drums on here are just so chunky to the degree mm. that that's what I pay attention to. They just rise to the top and they... You know, there's 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 the crackle mm-hmm. that I didn't also didn't pay as much attention to on this album yeah. and the drums. Those are the two things. Um, you know, there's all these other elements that we're talking about, too. But the two things that in prep for this chat that I was listening to, I was like, good Lord, yeah. these drums um, are so ridiculous. And, and a lot so, of the young, you know, producers and and MCs are influenced by these this stuff that they did, this album, but aren't even aware of it. So I just feel like this is, it's just changed music in a way that's subliminal, like where people don't even know the effect of what, you know, it's done to music. So. Kareem, bringing this back to Midnight Marauders, what is the fire track off of this album? So going on, Mm-mm. you know, almost 30 years now, what's the one song off here that gets you hyped above and beyond all others? Man, well, my favorite that was that stayed on my voicemail the longest was Electric Relaxation. And it was yeah. the, the, the they used Ronnie Foster, who was one of my favorite artists, you know. Um, so good. And the drums that, you know, that led me down to find what that drum sample was, you know. Mm. And... It just is special record, man. That song is special. And then I, I remember the Wayans brothers used it as a theme. So it was like when the Wayans brothers show came on, that made me watch the Wayans brothers yeah. from the, the intro. I was like, let me see the show. They use electric music. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah. By the way, my name's Malik, the five foot freak. They say we get together by the end of the week. She simply said, no, label me a hoe. I said, how you figure? My friends tell me so. I hate when silly groupies want to run the yacht. Word to God, hun, I don't get down like that. I'll have you weak in the knees that you can hardly speak. Or we could do like Uncle Ella swinging at my Morgan, how about you? I didn't think it was going to be so tough today. I thought this was going to be an easy episode. I'd be able to glide through and not be conflicted. <laughs> Clearly, that's not the case. Can I say this, man, that it changes all the time? Oh, sure. Um, for me, I'm like Kareem. If you'd asked me a while back, it would have been electric relaxation. But I go back and forth between a war tour and oh my God. Mm. Um, I have a visceral, you know, body reaction to when oh my God comes on. It just it just makes me move. Ooh, yeah. It just it gives me that stank face mm-hmm. and it just makes me it's just ugh, yeah. just grimy. And so if I had to choose between the two, I think there's a I think there's an elegance about a war mm-hmm. tour, but there's just a a grime about oh my god. Yeah. So uh, that's the one that I go to when I listen to this album. That's where I'm going first. Yeah. Brothers find it hard to do, but never me. Some others try to dip with Malik. You see him bitching me, not care about them DBMC. But shit is hitting Trini Gladiator. I think for me, like a war tour still gets spins when I DJ. I think Electric Relaxation might be the greatest hip hop song about sex ever recorded. And there's a lot in competition with that. But the one song that took me to that next level and then some off this album was God Lives Through. Mm. I think it's mm. quite possibly the best last song on any album I know. Uh, I just remember that the first time I listened through with Midnight uh, Marauders, you know, you get to Lyrics to Go, which is a just incredible second to last song. And you just think, how could anything be better as a closer than this? It's, I mean, Lyrics to Go is just incredible. Yeah. And then as that song comes the comes to an end, I just remember thinking that was amazing. There's no way they can top whatever is going to come now. And then God lives through drops in. And as Morgan Wells know, well knows, like I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but that song and the way in which it comes in was like meeting whatever version of God exists for me. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, in this case, <laughs> pun both intended and not intended. I mean, it felt like a spiritual experience.
still feels amazing yeah. all these years, all these years later. Yeah. There's a million MCs that claim they want some, but see, I create sounds that make your ears go numb. Peace to see and zap, yeah, you know how we go. My best friend Steven at the Home Depot. Rorotin is in the house, I can't forget Southside. Because of Oh My God, I spent a little bit more time listening to Cool and the Gang, Who's Gonna Take the Weight? It was a, a while that I didn't know the genesis. I think there's a JB sample mm-hmm. on there maybe also. Um, I think there's a couple of samples, but I spent a little bit more time listening to to those and how this song was put together. Yeah. And I was surprised that that became my favorite, right? Yeah. But can we hear a little bit of that just to indulge me, Christian? I mean, Morgan, since you've opened the door into a, a tangent around, oh my God, the other thing I want to acknowledge about that is that not only is the LP version amazing, but so is the remix of it, especially with that, that, that kind of drum pattern that kicks it off. I remember watching, you know, I was still early as a DJ, but I was watching these much more experienced jugglers just go back and forth on that and just kind of cutting it up. Not even just that the remix is good, but on the 12 inch, they did a remix of the remix where they brought in this crew no name to drop verses over that remix track and you know i know the business reasons why why labels stopped putting out 12 inches that had 18 remixes on it which just it was just too expensive for them to do <laughs> but especially as both a listener and as a dj back then i just love that anytime you would pick up a hip-hop 12 chances are there was going to be at least one or two remixes of, of just of flipping things in a direction you hadn't heard before. And Oh My God is just so great because of all the different remixes that were included on for that one single. So shout out to that. like PB Herman in a strip bar. I get Racco joints lovely while my crew sips the bubbly. Score 60 points so yo the coach coach something. Come on B, come on B. Now niggas wanna play low funk like Simple E. Your career is over. Go check the morning ads. Hop out of state like niggas hop out of dollar cash when I come a flavor. Come on son, don't sweat it. Kareem, what's your favorite moment? on the album if you have a favorite moment well i thought the tour guide was super special like and hearing mm. the cal jader behind it like that introduced me to cal jader's music you know it was like relaxing you know vibraphone kind of uh, i wouldn't say straight ahead jazz but it, it kind of had like a, a brazilian kind of flavor so that I, that led me down the rabbit rabbit hole of cal jader i bought like all mm. his records around that time I want to say that was probably my introduction to Cal Jader as well. And considering Mm. that this is one of the greatest jazz, Latin jazz artists in history, his catalog is insanely big. But for people of a certain age, right, if we didn't grow up listening to that stuff in our houses, never heard. I think think that the the Jader loop probably was sort of the opening into it. And uh, and obviously Jader's catalog completely transcends any one or two samples. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. he's just such an amazing artist, but nonetheless, yeah, I think for a lot of, a lot of folks who were probably like, like seventies and eighties kids, like that was, that was our introduction to Jader's music. So yeah, yeah, good, great, great point. Morgan, how about you? My favorite uh, moment, and it's so hard to pick, but the one that gives me chills uh, to this very day is the beginning of Lyrics to Go. Uh, It doesn't get better than Minnie Ripperton and Inside My Love. I can't hardly sit still on that. Um, it's just something, just that noise that Q-tip yeah. makes. And you're yeah. like, where are we going? Yeah. And then it opens up into that. And I just, I'm getting chills right now talking about it. Lyrics to go. 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 
Lyrics to go. Lyrics to go. What they do in that song so incredible is you have this mix, and we've talked about this on different songs in the past on the show, but the mini Ripperton sample provides like this kind of smoothed out mellow bass. But then you have that, you know, that incendiary guitar coming in. You have the hard Man. and you have the soft coexisting in the same space. I mean, I think a lot of Tribe is just like that. It is about the, the balance between hard and soft. I mean, you can pick practically any song that's memorable by them, and they have that going on. And it's mm. hard to pull off because it's usually it leans in one direction or the other. And whew, yeah, lyrics to go is that's that's, fire. <laughs> that's a great pick. That's the one. Um, my favorite moment goes back to something that Kareem was talking about, which is about how electric relaxation uses that Ronnie Foster loop. And so my favorite moment is when the bass line drops in on electric relaxation. And obviously, this whole album is filled with incredible samples. We've been talking about it. We can get into it a little bit more right now. But it's just when that bass line comes in, it it then and still does just feel like magic. And it seems very appropriate that the sample source is called Mystic Brew because it, it feels mystical. wrap up our conversation with Kareem Riggins right after this quick pledge break. On He Rocks, we live for the ratings. We live for the tweezies and the retweezies. And we appreciate so many of you that have shouted us out on social media uh, and on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I want to read something from Robin from Kansas City. She said, I have found my people. <laughs> she says, mm. let me tell you, I stumbled upon this podcast after listening to Flower Bomb for Anita Baker on Clubhouse, February 26, 2021. I have found my people. I'm a music lover who loves to know the behind the scenes of how composers write music. I am literally a person who reads the liner notes, and this podcast is an extension of this. I love the introspection of the album and the musical contributors to make the project. If you're like this... This is where you want to be. Thank you, Robin. That is That was lovely. Wow. Well, if that moves you, either Robin or anyone else listening to become a member, just visit MaximumFun.org slash join, and you will see all the ways that you can give. Most people choose $5 or $10 a month. Some support us at $20 a month or more. You can always boost your membership in between levels if there's a specific amount you would prefer to give. Um, I love Fanti, so I want to shout them out, and uh, and I'm I'm so glad to share this network, to be on this network with them. These uh, two hosts, uh, Jared and Travell, are working hard as they're uh, mm. going going through this to make sure that they have something meaningful to share with you uh, during this time too. So check for Fanti. We're grateful to those of you who support our ability to do this, not just for ourselves, but for all the people who enjoy what we do and can continue to do so because of your membership. Thank you so much. So if you can, go ahead and join at MaximumFun.org slash join. That's MaximumFun.org slash join. Kareem, I'm wondering, not that we haven't been talking a lot about the samples on here already, but are there other favorite samples, you know, especially yeah. as you were mentioning a moment ago, that you were turned on to Aquarius by Cal yeah. Jader through this album? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Morgan was just talking about the Cool in the Gang sample on 
oh my God. So were there anything, any other samples on here that really, really stood out to you? And with the drums on like electric relaxation was this group called brethren and brethren, I, I, rock I, drums yeah outside love that break i've been trying to recreate that break for years but uh it's just a certain <laughs> feel in that that drum break that's just special man so that And then um, mm-hmm. Red Clay, of course, uh, Freddie Hubbard. Yeah. But I grew up learning how to play jazz. Like that, every jam session we would go to, that was everyone would want to call that song. Like, let's play, you know, Red Clay. So to hear someone rap over it, you know, that was special, man. Morgan, how about you? Anything that we haven't mentioned yet? I guess the hand clapping song by the meters. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Could be mistaken on that one. May have to look it up, but I think. Well, who didn't sample Nautilus Bob James? Oh yeah, but I think that's on, <laughs> it that's is. on there too. It sure is. I think you got Lou Donaldson on there. I think you got Old to, Old to Billy Joe on there. So clap your hands. Which doesn't get talked about. No love yeah. for clap your hands out That's here, That's so folks. true. But That's yeah. so true. Right. But yeah, those those samples are precious to me in that one. There's just too many heaters, you know, how it's it's hard to uh, to cover it all. Um I think for me the one you know, one of the ones we haven't mentioned much yet was a war tour and in particular the the main electric piano on there is is from Weldon Irvine um and we getting down mm. and mm. especially and I think for a lot of people I mean Weldon obviously was incredibly important and influential to multiple generations of musicians. We've talked about him on the show before in, in relation to his work with Nina Simone, but obviously like an incredibly important, not just a musician, but teacher. I mean, there's so many people, most deaf, Q-tip. I mean, they all studied at the feet of, of, of Weldon when he was still with us. And mm-hmm. so I think for a lot of us, this is our first time ever hearing anything from his catalog, which was that sample of We Getting Down. One thing that I did not know about for years, I mean, for years and years and years, is I didn't realize that the bass line from that song came from Jade's Don't Walk Away, which was only from 92. Because yes. oh, I was so man. used to thinking that that hip-hop artists only sampled stuff from 20 years before them, as opposed to Q-Tip was listening to Jade's Jam a year before he makes this album, or makes this single specifically, and it's like... That sounds really good. I'm going to flip that for this new song I'm working on from the third album. That's again, it's only a year old at that point. But shout out to Jade and Don't Walk Away and, and for Q-Tip yeah, to hear dope. this and be yeah, like, yeah. "All right, watch what I'm going to do with this." You know, so yeah. Shouts to Tribe for uh, using that beat. And uh, and yeah, shouts to Jay. Don't Walk Away is still fire to this very day. <laughs> yeah. Is there a song off of here that you would dare to remix? And if so, which one? Mm, maybe Lyrics to Go. Mm. Mm, mm. Yeah, because that just left so much room the way they incorporated, you know, those chords. It just le- leaves so much room for interpretation of, of some some different harmonies on there, you know. So I would, I would definitely take a stab at that. Mm. 
but this album is so untouchable. I don't think I would. Sure. Ever do it. No, I hear you. <laughs> it, it, it feels blas- blasphemous for the even ask, right. but you know, I yeah. figure as a musician and a producer, you've probably at some point had some kind of thought on this, like, oh wow, what what could I do with this? You know. So yeah. Well, you know, one thing I used to do is practice all these grooves. Like that would be a full day of practicing, practicing how to precisely play these patterns on the drums. Because at this time, like, I mean, there was no real drummers playing hip hop. You know, it was all programmed. So this was just like a lesson for me, like playing with these records and trying to get the sound, these different sounds on the same drum set. That's kind of like a challenge for me. How would you describe uh, Midnight Marauder if you only had three words to do so? Innovative, mm. um, artistic, soulful. Boom, right there. Philly got us, Milwaukee got us, LA got us, Hotel got us on. Before we cut, we always like to leave our audience with something dope to step to. So we have some recommendations that if you really enjoyed listening to Midnight Marauders and you want to have something else to check out. Uh, Morgan, you want to start us off with something that uh, people should put into rotation after this album? I would say uh, keep it in 1993. And I would go with uh, Reachin'. I'd go with Diggable Planets. Mm. Um, They also got the jazz. And I think if you like jazz samples and loops... Um, as you see on, as you hear on Midnight Marauders, uh, then you will love these three K's, crazy kids from New York and that album. Yeah. And then check out our conversation with Jack Davey about that album from, from our Heat Rocks archive. Like 60s funky words with waves and perms, just sending junky rhythms right down your block. We beat to rap what key beat to lock, but I'm cool like that. 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 For me, if Midnight Marauders mark the peak of Tribe's catalog, as we've been discussing, then I think folks might want to hear what a similar group was like at the start of their career, but also in 93. We actually talked about them earlier in the show, and that would be The Roots out of, of course, Philadelphia. And their relatively obscure debut album, Organics. I think most folks, myself included, we didn't. I didn't hear about The Roots until they got signed to Geffen and released their second album. This was in 94, Do You Want More? But Organics was their first studio LP, and it was so obviously influenced by groups like A Tribe Called Quest, but with the key twist, which of course was that rather than making their music using a sampler, even though they probably did work in sampling, um, they they made their music with a band. And you just hadn't seen many examples of that in 93 or 94 for that matter, uh, in hip hop. And so I think if you've never heard the roots, first album, which is, again, it wasn't, it wasn't a major label one. So a lot of folks didn't hear it at the time, but go back to organics and check it out. I remember one morning in the soul shack, cooling in the outback on a songwriting ship. Blizzard off for Bob Marley split on a cloud. I'll be relaxing on the last night and shit. It's studio today, but hey, brother, question was on the west side of sleep without a clue when I hollered down a crumb to pick up the phone. Kareem, take us home. What would you recommend people check out after Midnight Marauders? Um, one of my great brothers, uh, Pete Rock. I would check out Mecca and the Soul Brother. Mm. Um, that's one of my favorites. When I date back, I recall a man off the family tree. My right hand, Papa Doc, I see. Took me from a boy to a man, so I always had a father. When my biological didn't bother yeah. taking care of this, so who am I to pick up? Slum Village, Fantastic Volume 1, was uh, yeah. a classic to me. That's like, you know, my introduction to Dilla. So that, that okay. album's special and close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Balloon Mind State, they last saw. Yeah. Hard to go wrong. Yeah. yeah. 93 was a very good year for Native Tongues fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pass the test to ask me about the Native Tongue again. My 
friend, I tell you, jungle brothers on the run. I've shaken hands with many devils in the industry, believe the genesis life it was tells me that I'm deaf. Like the autograph sign until the break. Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Kareem Riggins. Kareem, what are you working on now? Right now I'm working on uh, doing some scoring, movie scoring, and finishing up my album. Working on a movie called Alice that should be out soon. So people look out for that. And where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram under my name, Kareem Riggins. Twitter the same. And um, my website, KareemRiggins.com. Fantastic. We just want to say thank you again to everyone who has gone out of their way to support the show as a Maximum Fund member. You all are the reason that we are able to do the show that we do, and we cannot thank you enough. If you haven't had a chance to become a member yet, you can do so now at MaximumFund.org slash join. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.